Check us out on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash black girl nerds. Your monthly support helps these podcasts to grow. It also allows us to travel all over the country to give you some of the best coverage of events that are happening in the con circuit, cosplay circuit, and so much more. So go to patreon.com forward slash black girl nerds. What's up, y'all? This is Amanda Seals, comedian, writer, and creator of Get Your Life. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Khaleesi. Hey, everybody. My name's Adina Porter. I get to play Pearly May in the WGN's Underground. And I'm also on The 100 on The CW. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. What's up, y'all? It's producer Will Packer, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Keep it locked right here. My name is Reggae Jean Page. I play Chicken George in Roots, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, y'all. This is LeVar Burton, Kunta, Jordy, Reading Rainbow Guy. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. It is the bomb diggity podcast on the interwebs, but you don't have to take my word for it. for tuning in to episode 78 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Uncle Bebop, Independence Day, and Living Color. Three segments. Our first segment, we welcome actor-comedian Gary Anthony Williams. He is currently in the film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, playing the role of Bebop, but you know him best as playing the role of Uncle Ruckus on the Boondocks. I decided to insert some of the banter that we had before we actually started the interview because it was so funny, and he did, of course, Uncle Ruckus' impression, so I wanted you guys to listen in on that because it was so hilarious and was definitely a valuable listen. That podcast is co-hosted by KB, Kayla, and Tora. In our second segment, we invite Jesse Usher. Jesse Usher is currently in the new Independence Day resurgence film. He's also had guest starring roles in numerous TV shows, including Without a Trace, Numbers, The Mentalist, Criminal Minds, Lincoln Heights, Hannah Montana. That's a one-on-one interview hosted by Tora. In our third segment, we invite Corey Glover. Corey Glover is best known for his work in the heavy metal band Living Color. He has a new band called Stew, and he has a one-on-one with Kristen about his latest venture in the music industry. 
So that is our show. You're going to have a lot of laughs. You're going to have a lot of insightful information about the latest Independence Day film coming up and some insight into the music industry and what Corey Glover is up to with his world post Living Color and also with his new music. So sit back, relax, get your workout on, whatever you do while you're listening to our show, and I hope you enjoy it. Gary Anthony Williams is an actor who provided the voice of Uncle Ruckus on the Boondocks, Yancey Westridge in the video game Alpha Protocol, and Horace Warfield in StarCraft II Wings of Liberty. He's also appeared on the TV series Weeds, Boston Legal, Blue Collar TV, and in Malcolm in the Middle. Williams co-founded and is the artistic director of the LA Comedy Shorts Film Festival in Hollywood, and he stars alongside Cedric the Entertainer in the TV sitcom The Soul Man. Williams is currently a regular on Whose Line Is It Anyway? And you can currently find him in the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows film, playing the role of Bebop. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Hello. Yellow. Hi, Gary. It's Jamie from Black Girl Nerds. How are you? What's up, Jamie? <laughs> How are you doing this fine day? Excellent. Who else is there with you? I can just sense that you have a room full of people giving you notes and hitting you when you say the wrong thing. (laughs) We got a team here. We got a team. KB, Tora, and Kayla. It takes a team, guys. (laughs) To do an interview as perfect as the one we're about to do. We may be already in it. I don't know. (laughs) To do an interview this perfect, it takes a team. It does. It really does. You're so right about that. <laughs> well, I wanted to say thank you so much. It's an honor and a privilege to have you on our show. Such a big fan of your work. And thank you. Thank you for coming on our little podcast to talk about your new film. I needed this, plus I lost a bet. And, oh. <laughs> uh, and I hope that doesn't come off negative. But I lost a big one. So here we are. <laughs> It is a real pleasure. Hopefully it wasn't a big <laughs> loss for you. I lost. I lost. Well, yeah, it was. Oh. Today's not about that. Today's about doing the best show we've ever done. <laughs> it's going to be the bestest. Guaranteed. I wish you could see me. I'm wearing furs right now. Breathable summer furs for this interview. Wow. Um, okay. Yep. And I'm wearing Something called chinos. I've never uh, never worn them before, but I heard they're real popular in the Caucasian community. <laughs> Put on a nice pair of chinos. I'm pretty sure Uncle Ruckus was wearing chinos for like all of his Oh, he's going to do the voice. He could afford a pair of chinos. <laughs> like a chino, they sound like China. And Lord knows I don't want to wear none that them people wear. Oh, I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm about to die. Okay. Um. All right. So let, let's get started. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Very excited about tonight's show, especially if you are a fan of animated shows such as Boondocks 
And the new film that is coming out called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, we have an actor, a voice actor. He has appeared in shows like Weeds, Boston Legal, and Malcolm in the Middle. You know him best as Uncle Ruckus in the Boondocks. And he's currently starring as Bebop in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows. We have Gary A. Williams here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes. I was waiting to hear applause and cheers in the background. I wasn't <laughs> going to talk till I heard, like, because usually I'm going to be honest, and I hope this doesn't sound, make me sound cocky, but normally when somebody introduces me, there's applause and there's cheers and <laughs> balloon drops. Uh, and I didn't hear, you may have dropped a balloon, they're very silent, but I didn't hear any applause or cheers. So that's what I was waiting on. So I apologize if there was a, a pregnant pause. You know, our first earlier podcasts, we used to have like a little applause track when I would introduce the guests. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something we've moved past from. But maybe okay, we, I'm sorry. Maybe See, we need to bring it di- back, though. Here's the difference. I did not want a track. I wanted literal. And uh, when I say literal, I, I get rid of the literal. I get rid of the er <laughs> sign in the middle. I go straight literal. I skip over that syllable. I wanted literal audience in the background, like people, real meat hands slapping against each other's clapping. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it, it's a new day, guys. It's a new day, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to expect that. Thank you. I could, thank you, for letting me be here. Thank you. It really, it's an honor to have you on the show. We're such big fans. So many of our listeners are big fans of your work. I want to get into your work that you've done outside of the accolades that I just mentioned with Boondocks and Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. You're a man of many talents. You have worked in animation from voice acting work and live action, as well as improvisational work with shows like mm-hmm. Whose Line Is It Anyway? Love that show. Is there anything or is there one that's more challenging than the other? And what do you enjoy doing most? The funny thing is, when I really started getting getting paid to act as in being a professional actor, I started doing Shakespeare and improv back in Atlanta, Georgia at the same time. So I was stage trained Shakespeare and really joined my improv group, Laughing Matters, at the very same time. So I kind of have equal footing in both of them. So I, I really don't have, I don't have a druther, as they would say, where I'm from, on which I do. I love doing dramatic stuff. I love doing comedy stuff. And definitely voiceover stuff is just ridiculously fun because you can go so many places with voices that I could never just go on camera doing anything. I really don't have any others. It's such a joy to be able to do what I want in all those fields with ever having to actually choose. Is there one that's more challenging than the other? I wouldn't say the one that's more time consuming is Say I'm in a big movie with lines, of course, and I got preparation to do. That's a more time-consuming one. Mm. With improv, you step up, somebody throws a pitch, and you swing at it, you know? Right. With that, as far as, like, prepping a character, prepping lines, you know, being being ready that way, I guess it's more challenging in the time sense. But I think all acting kind of comes from the same place, you know? You just come from this place of truth, and you let it happen. So not that challenging in that way, but in the time sense, I suppose film work and TV work is more challenging. Definitely the hours are a lot longer than being able to step on stage 
and uh, do an improv comedy show. You're currently starring. Plus, in- it's also challenging, and forgive me for cutting you off. It's challenging in that I don't like to wear clothes, so I have to wear a lot of clothes when I'm on camera. Because <laughs> anybody will tell you, when I step in the booth to do Uncle Ruckus or Doc McStuffins' dad in, in on the Disney show, I'm naked, except I might wear a necklace, a statement necklace. Is that how you voice actors work? You guys do everything in the nude? Is that the best way I, to achieve I your craft? And I make a lot of the cast uncomfortable. Okay. But <laughs> but I think in the end, it's going to be a better performance because I don't have to worry about my clothes rustling. I just have a lady there to oil oil me up so I don't make a lot of skin noise. <laughs> and, <I go> at- <laughs> and then I go at it. I wonder what kind of like education and any kind of schooling you need for that kind of job, the oil up lady job. For the oil up lady? Yeah. Just curious. Look, I believe in hiring people who, who need help. Uh, <laughs> So I don't and and I'm not about to judge anybody by their amount of education like Donald Trump. I love the undereducated. So I I don't ever look at anybody's resume. I look at the gentleness of their hands. And that's how I believe all people should be judged. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is good information our listeners would like to know. So I didn't want to just come on here and talk about my throat work. I really wanted to. I wanted to give something that people could live with that they could take into their lives. Got it. Got it. This is good. This is what we appreciate on the podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So with the role that you're doing now on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you're playing the role of Bebop. Yes. uh, Which is huge. Did you ever read the comics or watch the animated series? And what kind of research did you do for this role? You ask all the right questions and you ask them perfectly as in your inflection is amazing i uh i did yes i did i um i watched the comics i was a a young man when they came out but me and my best buddy jerry pretty much every single day would watch teenage mutant ninja turtles so i watched them religiously i didn't read any comics until i booked the film because i wanted to go back and really study like, I knew the cartoon well. I even went back and downloaded all the uh, series and watched the cartoons over again. But I hadn't done any research on the different machinations of it in the world of the comics. So I went and I bought up a lot of comics. And, you know, they're very different in the comics. Like, different mm-hmm. different writers, different artists have a different take on them. So it was really cool to see everybody's side of it. But I wanted to steal as much as I possibly could from that. So I, I definitely stole from the TV show. I tried to steal as much as I could from the comics. And then me and my partner in this, uh, his name is Stephen Farley. He wrestles under the name of Seamus in the WWE. He plays Rocksteady. And when we got together, we went over all that stuff together. Plus, we watched a lot of animal videos on rhinos <laughs> and warthogs just to study, like, what are their movements? How do they move? Just in case we wanted to add any of that stuff in our characterizations. I went deep into the hog, by the way. I went straight deep into it. Oh. Yeah. I'm a hogman now. I'm a hog professional. It's fun. (laughs) Growing up, growing up, we actually raised hogs, too, which was another funny thing that happened. Like, I appreciate what hogs have given me in this life. So you were super prepared. Yeah. Okay. Look, growing (laughs) up, growing up, we raised hogs. Then, not long ago, I played these hog brothers in Kung Fu Panda cartoon. 
I played Sal and Lau, I think were their names. And then I played two hog brothers in a Disney cartoon called Sheriff Kelly's Wild West. Hogs have been very good for me and not just the bacon. And as a vegan, <laughs> as a vegan, I got to appreciate them for more than their bacon anyways. <laughs> okay, well, at KB here. So I read that you are originally from Fayetteville, Georgia, you know, right yeah. up in Atlanta. So I wanted to know what piqued your interest in the arts and when was the moment that you knew you wanted to pursue this as a career? It's funny. I was um, in high school and I was kind of a smart kid. But to be lazy, just to have a little time off, I, I signed up for some kind of like backstage job in the theater. I was like, oh, I'll just learn how to do lights or something and get an easy grade. But the computer put me in an acting class. So it was a total computer error. I got in the acting class and it was like, oh, this is fun. I'll do this. I can still be lazy and do this. And then I went to I was going to college. I was going to study psychology or business. But I kept thinking, like, no, I'll just do this play. So I never, ever had one thing that made me go, yes, this is it. This is what I'm meant for. This is my calling. It was I kind of lazied my way into it because it was so enjoyable to me. Just to be able to play a different character or do a different voice just became such a joy to me. Until finally it was like, I keep doing it. I might as well just make a career out of it. Wow. So I kind of sneaked in through the back door. Right. Well, rather, the computer chose you. Yeah, the computer chose me. Technology <laughs> has been my friend, I will say that. And I'll also say this. When the robots take over, I have no problem with that. I love robots. <laughs> they need somebody to oil them or check their motherboard. <laughs> I will be the guy who checks the robot's motherboard or oil. I'll be like that lady is who oils me down before my voiceover. <laughs> But what if they don't I, think your hands are gentle enough? And you you know, gotta, I wish, once again, I wish you guys could see me right now. I'm wearing, <laughs> the I'm wearing my chinos, and I'm practicing hand manipulations right now. Very, very delicate hands and tapered fingers. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, playing the voice of Uncle Ruckus is probably one of your most notable roles, although I did yeah. love your character on Weeds and remember you from that. But just tell us about what led you to accept the role of Uncle Ruckus and be a part of an animated series that was really unique at its time of inception. So I got a call from my agent saying, hey, there's a there's a cartoon called Uncle Ruckus coming out on Cartoon Network. I mean, I called um, the Boondocks coming out. I had read all of Aaron Magruder's comics at the time. I had read like all of the all of the little Sunday comics as well with the boondocks in there. And I loved that cartoon. So I asked my agent, what character am I auditioning for? Like, And she said, there's a new character called Uncle Ruckus that he's going to be introducing. I was like, well, that's fine. But I want to read for every male role on that cartoon. So I went in and I read for Huey, Riley, Tom, the neighbor granddad and uncle ruckus so i read for all of them but i saw when i started doing uncle ruckus i saw aaron magruder's eyes light up it was one of those rare super rare times in this business when you go okay i got that he liked that and so that was it i was already a fan of i was already a huge fan of his and then just the opportunities like i really want to do this cartoon and for the character i basically used 
a bunch of the guys that used to hang around my dad when I was a little kid growing up in the South, down in Fayetteville. He had some friends that were just these weird dudes, man. Like you didn't know. It's like they were raised by a wild pack of racists or something, you know? <laughs> and so I would just steal a little bit from their voice. And Aaron loves improv. So I would improv some stuff, you know, either that I would hear them, had heard them say when I was younger or just stuff that I knew would come out of their mouths. So it, it was such a wonderful field to be able to play around in with that super racist, self-loathing, hateful dude, but making him likable. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's awesome. It's so incredible that you auditioned for all of the male roles. Yeah, because it was such a great cartoon. I like, I don't want to miss any opportunities in this thing. Right, right. And Uncle Ruckus, like, he didn't even exist. So I'm like, well, I don't know who that is, but I know Granddad. And I know Huey and I know Riley. And I know what Tom is like, that neighbor. It was great. Like every, especially in the beginning, we recorded as a group. So everyone was always in the room at the same time, and you got to really improv back and forth and play off of everybody's energy. It was terrific. And all the songs on there that they did, like my little songs, Aaron would just let me improvise them. They were all improvised, except for one episode where he actually hired me to write all the songs in that episode. Wow. That sounds like a really incredible, like, just creative experience, you know, as a voice actor. It sounds like Aaron Magruder really allowed a lot of freedom of my team to be able to do a lot of new and innovative things. So that's that's amazing. It was amazing because he would already have a dynamite script. And I mean, fantastic. And then he would go, hey, and if you want to do anything else with it, you go right ahead. So it was (laughs) as freeing as you could get. It was it's what every voice actor or improv guy wants. That's exactly what you want somebody to say. Okay, so which of the characters that you voiced would you say that you identify with the most? Different parts of different characters that I identify with. To me, the one that's probably the most fun to play is probably Ruckus. (laughs) Just because he's just that great antagonist. But identify with, like, some of the simpler stuff, even, like, I love... I don't know if you guys ever saw Doc McStuffins, but mm-hmm. I play her dad. Yeah. And he's a stay-at-home dad who loves being a dad and just loves being around his kids. Now, I have one kid, and, you know, that's a great joy to me. If I can arrange voice jobs around being able to just pick my kid up from school, I've won. Like, I've considered, well, I won the day. So <laughs> I definitely identify with that, like a black dude who's really there helping with his kids is an amazing thing. So I identify with that on a very different level than say uncle ruckus. That's in the voiceover world on camera. I think one of the, my, some, so many fun things. Luckily I get fun jobs, but playing smart brother and undercover brother was, because oh, <laughs> I got to be that nerdy me that I really am. Plus one thing about me that not a lot of people don't know is I, I was such a dummy, a smart dummy in school that I refused to take typing class. So I never really learned to type, even though I'm a writer. Like I've sold scripts. I sold a movie to Lionsgate a couple of years ago. I just never learned to type because I didn't want to take typing class. So whenever I get to play somebody like Smart Brother, if you watch that movie, I'm typing so fast. It's ridiculous <laughs> because I'm not really typing. But it's like, ah, oh, this is my time to show everybody I can type. 
same thing in Boston legal. I had a typewriter scene. Dude, watch my fingers. They are flying over those keyboards. <laughs> so those characters are special to me in a way as well. But honestly, the opportunity, right now I'm playing Mufasa on the new Lion Guard cartoon. It's, uh, it's the next generation of the Lion King on Disney. I've seen that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so James Earl Jones did the pilot and I play all the, and I do all the regular episodes. And of course, like stepping into that character that James Earl Jones made so famous, being able to do that is absolute joy. The beauty of my life is I get to do so much that I love. <laughs> that's that's the character I like to play most. Me. Because I, <laughs> I get to do so many great, fun things and rarely have a boring day going to work. Rarely. It's a blessing. Yeah, it is. I won. <laughs> you did win. <laughs> you said that you... We're a faithful watcher of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So do you feel like Bebop's representation in Out of the Shadows was true to his character in the original animated series? Yes and no. No in the sense that in the series, I mean, they were these kind of guys. They had this voice. (laughs) Come on, boss. Even though he was a black dude, they were still this guy over here. Yeah. (laughs) They got to get them turtles. So, so I, I went, well, I'm not doing that. I got to play closer to that that weird, wannabe, dangerous kind of street thug. What I do think we did capture is just their absolute joy and fun of breaking things, of just tearing stuff up, having these new bodies stronger than they could have ever been, trying to be little, you know, penny and, penny and nickel street thugs, having these new bodies new destructive powers, only answering to one person, really, which is Shredder. Nobody else do they even care about. They like each other, and they want to break stuff. So (laughs) I think we were able to catch that playfulness of them. The other part I mentioned, like, I wasn't interested in catching that. It was like, that's been done. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think it works for, like, to hear that voice coming out of my mouth just would have been like, why is he doing that? (laughs) (laughs) The beauty of this, too, is when I was auditioning, they told me in the room, like, Michael Bay really loves improv. So my last audition, I just improvised the whole thing. Because I was like, well, either he's going to love it or he's not. It's okay. I have other jobs coming down the road if he doesn't. But he did. He loved improv, and they, they, you know, every day on set, they encouraged they encouraged improvisation. Like they would get one the way they wanted it. And then they encouraged like, guys, go crazy. Throw anything in you want here, which was very, a very free working experience as well. I first want to say that I remember falling in love with your comedy as bailiff on the amazing <laughs> show. That's probably yep. my favorite. <laughs> but, you know, so many of us grew up loving Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Did you feel any pressure in taking on a role that so many people have grown to adore? You know what's so funny? I didn't feel any pressure at all until it was over. So I had shot it, done the thing, and I think a buddy of mine, Niambi Niambi. Do you know Niambi Niambi? He's an actor. He's on Mike, a show called Mike and Molly. He's one of the leads on that show. Okay. Yes. Big old nerd. Big old black African nerd. 
he called me one day and he was like, dude, this is fantastic. I was like, no, dude, I know it's been so fun. He's like, I don't think you get it. I don't think you understand. It's like, no, I get it. It's, it's great. Are you kidding? It's turtles. It's, it's bebop and rock steady. He's like, but you don't get it. In the turtle sphere, man, what these characters mean, people have been waiting forever to see them. Like they've never been in a movie. You don't understand how big this is. And then he goes, look, the movie's going to come out. It's going to do good or not. That's not going to matter. You are now bebop. You don't understand. And after, so it was after the fact that I went, oh, my God. And then I start seeing how many fans there are of the series, of the comics, of the movies, of the, you know, of everything in the turtle world. Then I was like, oh, boy, I hope I didn't screw that up. <laughs> So it was after the fact. So doing it, it was like nothing but playtime for me. After the fact, then it sunk in like, oh, man, this is a major situation here in this world. Wow. So you are just huge and you're the go to guy for the animation world right now. Is it keeping you young by doing these shows? You've done Star Wars and you've done Sheriff Cali. I'm a mom, so you've done Sheriff Cali and we watch Lion Guard. So is it keeping you young and does it keep you your son or is it daughter? Son, 13 year old boy. Yeah. He's 13 now. Oh, okay. <laughs> was it good, cool for him to see you doing all those things when he was younger? You know, it's funny. He, like when I was on Boston Legal, he would go down to the set with me and uh, he would just hang out in my room and I would say, look, if you want to go out and watch me shoot, you can do that. He goes, nah, I'm okay. So he was never that into that part of it. Like he was never into, into, hey, my dad's on this show. He's never been that guy because, you know, I guess he just grew up with it. It's fun for me, <laughs> but he's, you know, he's like a science minded kid. His interests are somewhere else right now. So he's never made a big deal about it at all, ever. But does it keep me young? Just acting in general, I think does. Just that ability to go out and play for a living definitely keeps me young. I was in New York. I was hanging out with my buddy who plays Rocksteady. We were at some bar and there was a lady and her friend there and they started talking. And I was talking about something dumb we were going to go do. And she said, I don't have time to play around like that. And I said, playing around like that is what makes me afford time. That makes me afford a house and a car and my kids' school. Pulling around is what does it for me. And I saw this look come on her face like, oh, no. <laughs> I think I just insulted this guy, and I guess he might be a little right. So, yeah, I think playing keeps me young to spend 28 minutes answering your question. <laughs> I could have spent 30, but I don't want to. <laughs> Those two minutes matter. <laughs> By the way, guys, on this Skype call, instead of your faces up here, I've now put some of my favorite animals on screen instead of you guys. So, really? Yeah. So when you when your when your faces should be popping up to let me know who's talking and stuff, it's just different animals. What's my animal? Your duck riding a bicycle backwards. <laughs> Did any one of us get the hog? I want to know who should fill one the most. One of you is a taper, which is a <laughs> hog family. It's a, oh, taper, okay. a taper sucking a lollipop. Oh, so, cool. yeah. 
These are some very interesting images. I wish we could have had this as a Google <laughs> Hangout or something on YouTube for our listeners to watch. But I just want to say this was such a fun interview. I really love and enjoy your story, Gary. For our listeners, can you let them know where they can find you on the interwebs and also give us your social media shout outs? I thought you were going to say my social security number, which I'm very comfortable <laughs> You're very comfortable with giving out? Okay. Very comfortable with giving out. Where my mother's maiden name and my pen number. I just don't care. I want to share with the world. Uh, <laughs> on the Twitters, I'm... I, look, I did a dumb thing. I didn't make everything the same name. And I apologize, America. <laughs> on the Twitters, I'm Gary A. Williams. At Gary A. Williams. On the Instagram, I'm Gary Anthony Williams. I think on Snapchat, I'm also Gary Anthony Williams, I believe. I, gosh, I need to go check my Snap. I need to check my Snapchat. Guys, what if I have my Snapchatter in front of me right now? Where do I go and find out my name on there? You're asking someone that literally just started Snapchat this oh. weekend. So I don't know the answer to that. Early 50s. I think you pull down from the top. All right, I'm going to go to my Snapchat. Pull down from the top. All right. I, I'm glad we're sharing this with uh, with the world. <laughs> and while we share this with the world, I'm going to, on Snapchat, world, listen to this, on Twitter, at Gary A. Williams, on Snapchat, Gary A. Williams, on Instagram, Gary Anthony Williams. Boom. Boom. Done oh, yeah. did it. <laughs> and, and what else did I be doing? You said, and also tell the people... Something else you said, and I forgot what it was. Oh, where we can find you on the interwebs, your website. Yeah, my website is currently under construction. And why? I had a website one time. I had a bunch of TV stuff on there. And ABC came and snatched a lot of the stuff off of there and shut down my website. I don't know why, but they did. I'm not an enemy of ABC, <laughs> but they took it off. So I'm rebuilding my website, which is GaryAnthonyWilliams.com. But there's nothing up there to see. So don't go there. And if you want to find me out in the real world, I just walk around at night looking in windows. Okay. Much uh, <laughs> any, street, any street USA. Okay. You'll see me wearing different garb. I dress in different garb of different countries. Sometimes I, I dress as an Irish potato man. Uh, wow. Sometimes okay. a French farmer. You know. <laughs> Very random. Very hey, man, this shout out to my improv comedy group. Is that a, is that allowed? Of course. Hi, everyone. My name is Gary Anthony Williams, and I'm part of an improv comedy group called The Black Version, which is theblackversion.com or at the black version. But what we do is it's an all black improv comedy group. The audience gives us a typically white movie like say on Golden Pond or something like that. And then we improvise the black version of that movie. We perform the last Friday, no, last Saturday of every month at beautiful Largo at the Coronet in beautiful Los Angeles, California. It's the funniest improv show that you will ever go see. There, see, I said it. Everybody check him out. Yeah, yeah, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed chatting with you tonight. Thank you so much. This was <laughs> fun. I learned a lot, guys. 
I learned that ducks can ride bicycles. I learned that. <laughs> Backwards. Backwards. Backwards, yes. Thank you much, folks. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I love you all individually. <laughs> <laughs> love you back. <laughs> I love you. Bye. We love you back. Bye. Bye. Jesse Usher was thrust into the spotlight from his work in the TV series Survivor's Remorse, where he played Cam Calloway, a basketball player who moves with his family to Atlanta after he signs a lucrative NBA contract. Usher's film credits include the 2014 TriStar football drama When the Game Stands Tall, called A Rising Star by The Hollywood Reporter. The first big break came in 2011, playing the role of Lyle Hugginson in an episode of the Cartoon Network series Level Up reprising the character throughout the show's two seasons. Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm great. I am Tora from Black Girl Nerds, and I'm so excited that you decided to um, come on the podcast and talk about Independence Day with us. Yeah! Nice to meet you, Tora. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. So I have just a couple questions, and I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Before we get into any Independence Day questions, I had one question because I've kind of been following your career since I'm a huge dork and I still watch Cartoon Network during the daytime. So (laughs) I did see Level Up (laughs) and um, I was a fan of Level Up. So in Level Up, you played Lyle, a jock who leads a double life as a nerdy gamer. And this is Black Girl Nerd. So I wanted to know, do you identify as any type of nerd or geek? Heck yeah. (laughs) That was like the easiest character for me to play. (laughs) Because, <laughs> you know, Lyle was, like, I mean, he was a chill guy, and I feel like I'm pretty chill the same way that he was. But at the same time, like, I do a lot of the same things. I'm just not ashamed about it. You know, for whatever reason, he was ashamed that he was, like, into the video game world and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, like, me and my friends come together, and we play, like, Dragon Ball Z games on Xbox Connect, like, all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? I'm just not ashamed <laughs> about it. I'll talk about it. I'll put it on Snapchat. It's <laughs> not Oh, wow, that's so cool. Well, fellow Black Girl Nerds, you heard it here first. Jesse Usher is a self-identified nerd. <laughs> and yeah, hey. science, my favorite subject in school. You know, I, I'm not ashamed at all. <laughs> that's super cool. So many super fans have been hoping for a sequel to Independence Day since the original aired in theaters. What was your reaction right. to the original film? Oh, man, you know, when I... I guess the first time I can really say I was even able to understand the film, honestly, I mean, this will touch back on the whole nerd thing. I was more interested in the, the scientific aspect of the film. Like when the president goes to Area 51, you know, he's like finding out that these aliens have been there for all these years. and They've been doing all this research and not telling them about it. I was interested in that more so than like anything else. You know, I mean, yeah, the explosions and the dogfights were cool. But, you know, finding out like the origin, oh, as I'm talking about this, the big independent thing just rolled by. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was always interesting to me, you know, and it kind of makes you wonder like what else is actually out there that uh, we don't know about. Exactly. Me too. <laughs> I wonder about that all the time. Okay, so in the film, you're playing Dylan Hiller, who's the stepson to the deceased war hero, Stephen Hiller, originally played by Will Smith. So I'm sure Dylan's character feels some pressure to fill Stephen's shoes. What kind of pressure did you feel when filling um, Will Smith's role within the movie? 
Well, you know, I've looked up to him for so long, and I've kind of, he's like my career idol. Like, I, <laughs> I can model my career after anyone he is. And yeah. I don't know, it was just, I guess there was some self-created pressure there, just because I'm I'm playing someone that, of course, is going to be related to, to Will every yeah. time it's talked about. And then, of course, like you said, you know, there's so many fans who are, like really love that first film who of course are gonna be looking at my character and making comparisons and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, I gotta just take it for what it is. Like I'm not playing with that I'm just playing a character that, you know, his his character raised and I yeah. kinda got a chance to just be able to do whatever I wanted with that and Roland and the writers and all the producers really wanted my character to really stand out and be his own person and not just make it seem like we were replacing Will Smith or, you know, trying to have me play his character in any way, shape, or form. So my character is very different. And, uh, you good. know, I'm glad I got a chance to put my own little twist on it. Well, that's good. I'm really excited to see it in the new movie. So many of the returning actors from the original were already, like, old friends who understood each other. What was it like having to come in and create new relationships with those people? We had to come in and, you know, we had to break things down and just let them know, like, hey, <laughs> here now, alright, we're going to go to dinner, we're going to be friends, and y'all going to like, no, nah, <laughs> <laughs> they were all, uh, they were actually very excited to have some new faces come in, you know, I guess they they were also, you know, they approved of how we, we get introduced and what kind of characters we were playing and this and that, you know, they were all very, you know, they were just giving us a lot of great information and very uplifting words and things to inspire us and just, you know, have us give the best performance that we can give. So it was it was a very easy thing to walk into. You know, all these people who have done so much over the last 20 years since this film, you know, being able to just share stories with us about what it was like shooting the first one and, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. So it was, it was a really good experience. Oh, wow. I was watching something on YouTube, and I kind of got to see that dynamic that you have with Vivica Fox, that whole mother-son yeah. dynamic, and it was so cute. Is your relationship really like that? Like, are you guys, do you guys play around like that on set as well? Yeah, like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but when I, when I get a role where I'm playing, okay, well, like I was saying, like, I don't know what it is about these roles, but I get, you know, I have a, a mother figure who's involved, but for some reason, they all seem to treat me like I'm their son for real. You know, <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. You know, they always, like, refer to me, they're like, son, what are you doing? You know, they check on me like a mom would, all kinds of stuff, making sure that I'm good. Vivica wanted to, you know, she was one of the main reasons why there wasn't a whole lot of pressure when I was filming this movie. She just gave me a lot of, like, words of encouragement. She's very encouraging. Aww. And uh, I thank her for that, you know, and that kind of brought us close together. And she would always would say, if I needed anything or if I had any questions, would just let her know. And you know, she she'd be right there. So it was very cool. Oh, that's amazing. So, what would you say was the most enjoyable part about working on Independence Day Resurgence for you? The most enjoyable part, I think, it was really enjoyable, honestly, to just stand back in the midst of like these scenes and and kind of just watch this created universe this is how it worked around me you know it was yeah. different because the sets were huge they were so massive and stuff that i know personally like you know I, i'm okay i know where the camera is i know the camera can see what the camera can't see and like nobody cared like whether or not the camera was on them at that moment like everything that was supposed to happen as if you know it was a real world was happening there was all these little things like uh, i don't know 
it was just a really, really big project. So there was a lot going on at every moment. It was really dope to watch. Oh, wow. I am so excited. What can we look forward to in terms of special effects? Like, I know I'm super excited. Have you seen the trailer? (laughs) Yes, I saw the trailer, and I'm just like, give me more. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm sure people know that this is out there, but not a lot of people know exactly how they're going to show it in the film. But in the trailers, you know, you'll see a lot of what happens to Earth, but there's a lot that takes place outside of Earth that is all done by special effects that oh. I'm, I'm excited for everyone to see. I'm excited to see it myself because I refuse to watch the film until the premiere, <laughs> so I haven't seen anything. I know it's going to be good. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, I hope you enjoy watching it in the premiere as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are all the questions that I have for you. Thank you so much for answering them. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. (laughs) No problem. It was a pleasure speaking with you, too. Well, I can't wait to see you on the big screen. You have a great day, okay? Thank you. Have a good one. You, too. Bye. Bye now. Corey Glover is a singer, guitarist, and actor. He's best known as the lead singer of the rock band Living Color. And he's toured as a vocalist for the funk band Galactic. As an actor, he's noted for playing Francis in the 1986 war movie Platoon. Craig Glover is currently with the band called The New Stew. Hey everyone, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Kristen and I'm with the legendary Corey Glover of the infamous... Living Color, and now with The New Stew. Thank you so much, Corey, for joining me. Thank you for having me, and I'm (laughs) far from legendary. (laughs) And just that humility just makes you even more legendary. (laughs) So recently, you've been a very, very busy person. I'm kind of on the DL busy until all of a sudden this just exploded. Can you... Talk a little bit about the New Stew Project and, you know, how it started, when it started. Just kind of walk us through, basically, how you got together with this, for lack of a better term, supergroup. Yeah, well, the drummer in the band, Jared Stone, had been thinking about doing this for a while. I don't think I was really thought of immediately. I think it was it was more like a vehicle for Roosevelt Collier, who's an amazing lap steel player. Just amazing, amazing, amazing guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Jared was trying to put this thing together for a while now, get some dates together, and called up some of his mates. And I had never met any of them. And I think it was, uh, I think it was Roosevelt that sort of suggested that I be a part of it. So here I am. Oh wow! Okay. If you know why the Bill Withers live in Carnegie Hall album, which, I mean, it to me is, like, a complete classic, but I know I've been to, like, Macy Gray did the anniversary of her first album coming out, if she actually went on tour and just did that album. Reese did one of just her first album. You have Stevie last year doing a tour just based around his album, and here it is, is this group of people doing someone else's album. How did that bubble up, especially that particular album? Well, you know, just not for nothing. Living Color actually went out on the road last year and the year before because it was the anniversary of, of Vivid, and we put yes. this front to back. You know, this record is seminal, really. Not just in that it's got songs on it, live versions of Grandma's Hands and Lean On Me and Use Me, but 
the singer-songwriter idea within the African-American community, let alone anybody, any other community, mm -hmm. really sort of fell out of favor within the African-American community. It was with Odetta and Nina Simone with singer-songwriter kind of people. That kind of thing sort of went away. But here was a record that had some amazing, amazing songs on it. And it was just an amazing concert. I mean, it sounded really good. It was a complete package mm -hmm. for a man who really, at that point, which was like 1972, 73, where he had just started his career. Mm -hmm. Really, you know, he started in like 1970, 1971. Then he put out a few records, and then he put out, then he put this live record out, and it was just amazing. It was amazing to hear. It was amazing to hear it live, as opposed to, you know, the recorded versions of it. For a lot of people, especially myself, it was sort of like the touchstone to what I do mm -hmm. as a singer, as a budding musician of any stripe. This was a really important record. It killed me because I mean, I was at the performance you guys did in D.C. Right. It just blew my mind, especially just taking Use Me as an example. The riffs that you heard and just the bass playing and just... You know, you don't hear that now. And I find it interesting that, well, I'm sorry, you don't hear that now on the radio, on the pop radio side and stuff like that. And seeing a band do a cover of this album was interesting because, it, it, to me, it was almost like being in a classroom. Right. Well, you know, this is the nexus, like I was saying, of the singer-songwriter, of the soul balladeer, sort of like the funk soul sort of connection coupled with this acoustic-y, folky kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Most of the people in that, that were in the band, Roosevelt included, are all in that jam band sort of thing. That's the nexus for them, the folks who listen to that kind of music. Mm -hmm. This record is the nexus of that kind of thing, where it's a little Sam Cooke, it's a little Bob Dylan, and it's a little... Brothers Johnson, all at the same time, mm. you know, with the ability to sort of like expand and expound on all of it in a moment's notice with that particular kind of music. Like, if you listen to the original record, you can tell they had to edit it for time. It was, you know, that they went in on some of these songs. On a song like uh, Lonely Town, Lonely Street, you, went, you know that the band went in and they just like took it to places it never been before night after night after night after night. Oh, yeah. You know, some of the ballads are so touching. And so that's the other thing. It's a very personal record. You're playing in Carnegie Hall. Yeah. But these songs seem to have, at least I think for Bill, had some sort of real relevance to him. The emotions of these songs came through. So it was a very personal thing. And if you were sitting in the front row or you were sitting in the nosebleeds, you felt exactly what was going on there. Oh, yeah. Well, even listening to it, I mean, now, you can still feel it. I mean, the anything from, like, Hope She'll Be Happier, I mean, that just, that breaks my heart every time I hear that song. But to hear it live... Yeah, it's my heart to sing it. I, like, I'm a heap at the end of that song for several oh. reasons. You know, just the, just the emotion of it is too much. Oh, yeah. I, I was, where I was sitting, I was like, should I go up there and, and just pat his back? I felt so bad when I saw you do it. I was, was like, oh, my God. You, we're all, like, in the fields right now. It was like... Yeah. 
You know, it's 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 like okay, yeah, I'm gonna do the song again, and oh god damn, it's all over again, and some <laughs> shit all over again. Damn it! <laughs> it's like I thought we were fine. No, we're not. No, we're not. I thought I was over this, and I'm not over this. I mean, I felt it with the album, but I also felt it with you guys live. Was it's like you went to church a couple times. I mean, yeah. You really were feeling this music and the band. I, I mean, I'm surprised that you're just telling me that this crew just kind of came together. I thought just the way you guys were playing, maybe it's because I was pretty much seven cities into this mini tour, was the fact that, I mean, you guys played and acted like I thought you guys knew each other forever and you just decided to do this, you know, just for whatever. Really, I met most of the band on the first gig. Wow. You know, from the first gig to when you saw us, we had jumped leaps and bounds and it sort of just gelled automatically and it just became something. You know, I'm sure for everybody that was involved in this thing, this music meant something to them. For me, it has a a real history. It has a, uh, I don't know, it has a, like I said, it's a touchstone to parts of my life. Like that record, this record and Still Bill and a bunch of other records were like, the soundtrack to my childhood, mm-hmm. you know, that grandma's hands was like always playing. Like my father, when we had to go somewhere that was longer than an hour and we didn't want to listen to the radio, that was in the car. And little Corey sitting between his older brother and sister on the hump seat listening to that music as we drove down to South Jersey from Brooklyn, you know, going to Asbury Park from Brooklyn. That's what we heard. We heard that. We heard uh, Carlos Santana, and in the house, we, we listened to uh, Miles Davis, Bitches Brew. So, plus everything else, plus the James Brown and the P-Funk and, you know, the Beatles and, you know, the Doobie Brothers and everything else that was playing, that particular record, this particular record, was always playing in the car. I think it had three things in the car to play music, and those were the three things. So we all heard that on repeat for a long time. Oh, wow. Do you think, especially with this type of music, because, I mean, you know, everyone I've talked to, especially, like, I would say probably 30 and older, we all have that that one record or bunch of records that, like, our parents constantly played, and there's stories behind it. Do you think that's why this music still continues to have the emotional connection even to, like, say, our younger brothers and sisters, even now our children, is because we're passing that down in the stories that go with those songs and those groups? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, we, you know, when hip-hop was in its infancy, they took the music that they knew. Mm-hmm. So they so they borrowed that James Brown record. When, you know, when you hear a band playing as opposed to hearing, you know, just pre-recorded music, there's a different vibe, there's a different feel to that. And when you hear some of these bands from back in the day, from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, that were bands that were like bass, drum, guitar, and keyboards, and a singer, or several singers, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, there was a visceral response to that. And even today, if you hear, before I let go, everybody goes, oh, shit! You know, <laughs> that's how people react to that. Like, I went to a Frankie Beverly concert once recently, like the last couple of years, and it's packed. It's packed. Yeah. Like, Frankie Beverly hasn't put out a record in t- almost 25 years. 
But where we saw him play, it was packed, and everybody's singing along. You had a response from something live. Mm-hmm. It's like when you see live hip hop, if you see, you know, if you see, hear live classical music, there's a visceral and, and physical response you get from, from live music. And that's what you heard on that Bill Withers Live at Carnegie Hall. That's what you hear when you, like, while we all got up at whatever time of a day on Saturday to watch Soul Train to see who was going to be on there, whether they're playing live or not, you just see them do it. Oh, yeah. Like the record, I mean, they use me how people responded and how he had just the band just keep jamming. I mean, the song is basically almost nine minutes long. Right. <laughs> he was finished and he was like, oh, okay, we'll do it again. And you can only really get that through live, or at least I'm right there with you with the, right. you know, seeing something in concert is a totally different, it's a totally different experience that you take with you. So, oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I mean, that's another lost art. Mm-hmm. That's a really lost art, the live record. Like, you can live stream something, but but how can you hear it like you were there? Take that experience home with you and really experience what it feels like to see the on-the-fly things that change from, from show to show and from day to day and from song to song. I've noticed, though, and, and please you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I've noticed that like just as you're seeing albums kind of sneak back into into the record stores and stuff like that you're also seeing i'm seeing more and more maybe it's just the bands that i follow more and more bands and artists that are releasing live records and you can hear like the um audience and them having fun and it just seems to me like that's that's slowly coming back like people are realizing we kind of lost that connection i like to hope so you know the whole sort of jam band scene is that in a nutshell it's like folks wanting to hear live bands like Lettuce, like Galactic, like Nth Power, I think that's the name of the band, Nikki Gillespie and all that stuff. These bands jam. They go for broke every night, and you walk away feeling something different. You feel different after a live concert. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can take that experience home with you, you know, that's lightning in a bottle, but, you know, it's, it makes you feel good when you hear it. I know I feel good when I hear a live record, when I hear a really good live record, where you know you know the recorded, the pre-recorded version, and then you hear them, what they can do to that music, and how they can make that music bigger or smaller, make it more intimate, or change the whole perspective that you had on it. It's great. That is awesome. Now, quick question. Are you guys thinking about actually recording this, or, or going on a longer tour, or is this kind of... Let's just try to see what happens, and maybe we'll come back together for another album. This was sort of like an exploratory thing. Oh, okay. We're just checking out and see if anybody's really interested in hearing that kind of thing. I definitely want to do more of it. I want to hear more of that. Like, I want to go into other records, like, and play those. Like, I want to do an Earth, Wind, and Fire one. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I am so there for it. <laughs> You know, I want to do, shoot, I want to do an Al Green record. Oh, my God. Anyway. (laughs) Excuse me, having a private moment. That is awesome. Oh, trust me, I'll tell you this right now. If that happens, please come through D.C. Because I will make sure that place is packed. (laughs) No doubt. You know, but, you know. And the players are just so amazing. These are players' players. That's the other thing about, about this scene is that these guys are among their peers, 
like the Cats. These are the guys that you go to when you want to do these sort of things. Ron Rico is an amazing percussionist and drummer and just like rhythmist in his own right. He plays with Charles Neville and he plays with some, plays with some of those folks. And he has that all down, you know. And I can't say enough about Roosevelt Collier. Oh, yeah. That was... I can't. I can't. You know, he's... I mean, he is so bad. It's, it's just... It's, it's frightening. It's frightening. It's sick. It is. <laughs> it was sick. This was awesome. And, I mean, you have Dave Yoke in it. Dave Yoke. Jared Stone, Kevin Scott, Matt Slocum. I mean... That particular show was great for Matt. He had a real grand piano to play some of the stuff like it was on the record. So he was going in with what he wanted to do. He was overjoyed. That is awesome. But we're kind of coming to the close. Aww. I know something tells me you and I probably can go on for at least two or three hours. Oh, uh, and we're just talking about music. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get too far in, I know you and I have spoken so, and I apologize for not giving Living Color a shout out for that tour. I, I missed it. I was not unable to go. So in my mind, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> so if you could just let everyone know actually what's coming up for you personally and how they could actually follow you and also new Stu and, you know, just so they, they can they can get in on the fun as well. You could go to Facebook. Living Color, C-O-L-O-U-R, is spelled the European way, mm-hmm. is on Facebook. We also have livingcolor.com. Um, the new Stu ha- also has a Facebook page. Living Color has a Twitter thing going on. I have my own Twitter thing going on at Rev Daddy Love. You know, just keep an ear out. We're here. We're not going nowhere. And that probably makes a lot of people feel better. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Corey Glover, for stopping by or actually letting me call you via Skype and talk to you for a little while. Or, or not call me via, via Skype. <laughs> Depending. Hey, shh. Oh, oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. Oh, the smoothness of the internet is all so, wow. It's all so amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for talking, and, um, you know, as we were talking, I hope to have you back soon, especially with uh, Living Color uh, going to be at Afropunk and you guys having an album out soon. It'd be awesome to have you back, and we can talk about Living Color and just everything around this, the legend of this awesome band. So, and like I said, thank you for talking to me about New Stew, and um, for those of you who are not sure about News Do, like I said, like Corey said, they do have a Facebook page. And also check out Bill Withers live at Carnegie Hall. You can actually stream it on Spotify or you can download it and get it off of iTunes or Amazon Music. You can get it anywhere. And if you're too, ch- no, I'm not going to say if you're too cheap for that, but if, you're, <laughs> if, you, if you really want, you can hear the whole record on YouTube, which is weird. But don't do that. Give Bill some money. He'll need some money. Yes. So yeah, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. We got it. It's cool. <laughs> well, thank you again, Corey. All right. Thank you, Chris.